Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Polyglot Podcast, a podcast dedicated to sharing the unique voices and stories of language learners and diverse individuals from all over the world. For those who are new here, my name is Claire, I'm a teen who loves learning languages, and I'm the host of this podcast show. Today, I'm so excited to invite Madeline with us onto the show. She is a current PhD student at UChicago studying linguistics, and today she'll be talking about the Aleut language and her efforts through language revitalization and what goes on specifically behind that process, as well as her current areas of study. So without further ado, I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you! Hi everyone, welcome back to another podcast episode. So today we have a very special guest with us. Would you like to first start by introducing yourself, where you're from, and your background? Yeah, so my name is Madeline Snigaroff, and I'm from originally from San Diego, but um, calling in now from Chicago. Uh, so I'm a third year PhD student studying linguistics at the University of Chicago, which is why I'm here now. Um, uh, I got my undergrad in linguistics at Stanford, and now I'm studying uh, syntax, primarily uh, field work, um, field methods, and some semantics now all of a sudden, and I've been engaged in language revitalization projects for many years. So that's also a major part of uh, what I do. All right, so cool. And I'm really excited to hear more about that in today's episode. So first I'd like to get started by knowing a little bit more about what got you interested in the field of linguistics and also your subfields too. Yeah, so um, <laughs> yeah, I think my interest was sparked first by studying just foreign language in high school and middle school, and then starting to make my own languages and through conlanging and then sort of going through Wikipedia uh, dives into uh, uh, all these weird linguistic terminologies and uh, realizing that linguistics was a field and then pursuing it in my undergrad and, and truly realizing that it was, um, it was for me, it was interesting for me uh, and it mattered a lot. So um, in college, I got more into field work uh, I listened to a lot of people who had done field work and was very intrigued by their experiences and their experiences working with uh, communities. Um, and I also got interested in syntax. I liked the the mathy aspects of of syntax. Uh, as I continue studying formal linguistics, I realize more and more that linguistics is just math. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And you also mentioned that you like creating your own languages too. So that's something new. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I've been a conlanger since I was in middle school. Um, Conlanging is short for constructed languages. Mm -hmm. And actually a lot of linguists, um, well, (laughs) a few linguists, (laughs) more than a few linguists uh, like to conlang. Um, Basically, some people do it for philosophical reasons, like they try to create a language with no verbs or with no nouns or something like that, or a language that uh, is very mathematical. Some people do it like J.R.R. Tolkien for, um, you know, uh, uh, cultural, they create a culture and a language that goes with that culture. And that's sort of what I like to do because I I like to see language as fitting in with culture. Oh yeah, that's so cool. So what was your language like? Yeah, so, I sort of was creating a world and a language separately, and then they sort of just came together. So my language, uh, the one that I'm working on now is this polysynthetic language with this great Abu Gita script, uh, (laughs) which, I mean, I could explain more about, but uh, 
it's uh, spoken by these people that I on my uh, <laughs> sort of fantasy-ish world. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's really, really cool. Yeah, so aside from like creating your own language, what other kind of research areas are you also working on right now? Yeah, so um, uh, I've been looking at this language called Aleut for um, many years. I'm, uh, Aleut is actually my heritage language. So that's sort of what started my interest in it. Um, and that's uh, an Alaska native language um, in the Eskimo Aleut family. Uh, spoken originally on the Aleutian Islands of Alaska, and um, I've been uh, working with that community for a long time um, and uh, did some syntax work there recently. So I was looking at this suffix on nouns that would appear in verbs on, <laughs> on occasion, and I was trying to figure out when and how it did that. Mm. Um, uh, but right now I'm actually working on Samoan, which is a completely different language family. I'm doing semantics in, in Samoan. Um, uh, so I'm looking at these two different articles in Samoan uh, that have been described um, in the traditional Samoan grammar in a way that I'm not completely satisfied with. So I'm trying to maybe describe them a little better and uh, analyze them from a semanticist's point of view. Yeah, I see. Yeah, that's really cool. And so it seems like you're also working on the revitalization part of the Aleut language. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, what of what the process is like behind that and what challenges you faced along the way? Yeah. Um, yeah, so I've been doing revitalization with uh, Aleuts since I was in college. I um, originally didn't know it was possible to even learn Aleut. I was always interested in it because, you know, I am uh, part Aleut and uh, wanted to uh, speak the language that my grandma grew up speaking. But for obvious reasons, I thought, well, that's not possible. And I sort of discarded the idea um, until in college, I met some people who had worked with this language revitalization program that worked in Alaska called um, Where Are Your Keys? Uh, which is a really weird name. <laughs> they go by Wake. Um, <laughs> where are your keys? Um, but they that's sort of um, named after their very hands-on methodology uh, mm -hmm. of language revitalization and language learning. So um, I just cold emailed the head of Where Are Your Keys and said, hey, I'm Aliud. I'd like to get involved. Like, are you working with this community? I've heard that you're working with them. And he uh, emailed me back and I basically spent uh, half a year up in Alaska, um, took a quarter off of college and just um, met, uh, sort of did some uh, <laughs> reclaiming of my own uh, mm -hmm. heritage and uh, identity searching, you know, yeah. meeting family members I'd never met before and stuff and traveling to this very remote island that my grandma was born on um, that I had never been to and sort of seeing the history of um, uh, of my people. Yeah, so that was really enlightening that um, I got to sort of not only engage in this linguistic endeavor of mm -hmm. language realization, but that it also went hand in hand with this sort of um, cultural, cultural revitalization as well and family history um, uh, discovery. Yeah. 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 I see. I see. 
And so what kind of goes into this revitalization effort? Was it a lot of like speaking to different like heritage speakers or finding, you know, different written records of the language? And yeah, kind of like what was the process of like putting language, I guess, together? That's a great question because whenever someone says, you know, language revitalization, people don't know what that means. What is that? What does that look like? Um, and I meet a lot of linguists who have no idea what that looks like. Uh, it's not very well known um, in the... Uh, it's not as well known as it should be in the linguistics community, um, but it it maybe it's hard to describe for people to describe because it can look like a lot of things. Mm -hmm. um, for the most endangered languages that are basically moribund, like they don't have any living speakers, it looks like um, going back into old linguistic anthropological documents, digging up what the grammar was, and trying to get people to say it. <laughs> um, just basic documentation. Mm -hmm. uh, Ali luckily had a couple really fantastic linguists um, in the early 1900s and um, or uh, in the 1800s and in the uh, 1990s, 1980s. Um, this guy named Knut Bergslin went over and made this super thorough grammar, super thorough dictionary, documented all the different dialects. So luckily they are at least a step or two ahead of those people groups and they, um, uh, they're working on connecting the older, the, the older generation, the only generation that speaks a language with the younger generations. Mm. So you could think of it as there are these three generations, there's the, the grandmas and grandpas who speak the language, who grew up, it was their, their first language. Mm -hmm. And then their children who maybe, maybe they understand it but don't speak it. Uh, they don't really understand it that well. And then their children, the grandchildren, right? My generation, yeah. and we don't speak it at all. You know, we can say hello, <laughs> we can say on, <laughs> but um, that's all that we've grown up hearing are these little token words. And so the method of where are your keys um, and lots of successful revitalization programs is to connect the older generation with the younger generation and get them talking to each other again and sort of restore that transmission that was lost. Um, and they do that through trying to create um, these, this uh, sort of a manufactured monolingual environment. So if you are studying Spanish, you can go to Spain and you're in this monolingual Spanish environment. It is very easy to be, you know, surrounded just by Spanish and you start speaking it because you have to. Yeah, That is not the case, obviously, with endangered languages. So um, there's not a place where you can go where you're uh, completely immersed. Yeah. So Wake tries to um, create little mini settings where you have to speak the language, um, little mini uh, monolingual environments, basically. And um, uh, to get the learners talking to the elder speakers. Oh, okay, I see, yeah, yeah, that's really interesting. And so for those who aren't really familiar with the Aleut language, can you maybe share a little few key like characteristics of this language and yeah, like what it's kind of grammar is like or some words perhaps? Yeah, yeah, I, <laughs> I could talk about Aleut all day. Um, <laughs> yeah, and let me know if like uh, terminology is, I don't know what people know, so Aleut is, um, in like I said, in the Eskimo Aleut language family, or uh, also called the Yupik Inuit lang uh, Aleut language family, 
um, and it's originally spoken in the Aleutian Islands, um, and they, perhaps one of the most striking characteristics that um, you can just hear in these languages is the presence of uvular sounds. So um, those are sounds, you know, pronounced way back uh, in the back of your throat, like paw or raw. Mm -hmm. And Aleut has several of those sounds. It's got paw, raw, and raw. And they they contrast with uh, k, r, and h. Yeah. Uh, that is, those are all different, you know, phonemes in the language. So you have to learn how to differentiate those those sounds. Um, so like is um, thank you. I, I thank you. Um, and it's got some, it's uh, kind of polysynthetic. So it, it's got some really long words and it's really verb heavy. So it's verbs can, uh, like I mentioned before, there's this suffix that ends up in verbs that should be usually on nouns. Um, that happens a lot. There are a lot of verbal suffixes that, um, you know, in English, how you would say, um, you know, uh, I don't know, I write again, and again, this adverb would become, would be part of the verb rather than uh, oh. its own separate word. Mm. Uh, and there are tons of, tons and tons of such adverbs. Um, mood is, and uh, tense, and all those sorts of things are uh, all marked inside of the verb. Mm, yeah, yeah, I see. That's really cool. Yeah, and so going back to kind of the revitalization effort, um, during this process, how do you balance the preservation of the traditional language and culture with the need to like adapt to changing social and technological landscapes? Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is a good question. Uh, there people fear globalization as uh, necessarily destroying language or advancing technology as necessarily destroying language. Um, in our case, we found it to be helpful in some cases. So uh, at least most recently, we've got, for example, Zoom. And we can I can Zoom in from Chicago and talk to elders uh, on a weekly basis. And I, I'm not impeded by um, just our distance. Or we have better like recording technology. And so um, the like songs and dances are getting recorded in, in much higher quality than they would have long ago. Um, but there's the obvious, you know, uh, <laughs> nowadays people, kids go off to college, you know, they don't stick around Alaska. They don't stick around the community um, to be entrenched in the community. Um, so that's, that's, that's tricky. And I think, um, you know, we've lost a lot of, um, potential learners uh, mm -hmm. to, they make decisions for their lives, like, well, I want to go actually pursue this job elsewhere. Um, and I think that's sort of up to them. <laughs> uh, obviously, we can't forcibly keep them. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. um, and I myself, I'm not even uh, in Alaska right now. But um, uh, it's something I've been thinking about. And I, I think, um the key is to just build a community that's worth coming back to. And I think that um, the Alu people, I think, are doing that. They have a strong community. I've seen people start dating each other in our language circles, you know, and um, just form family and friendships that they feel are um, uh, worth coming back to and, and being a part of long term. Yeah, yeah, I see. 
Yeah, sorry for that brief cut off right there. <laughs> no worries. Yeah, all right. Well, yeah, that answered your question. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, so kind of touching on that topic too, what are some reasons that the Ali language and other languages as well might become endangered? Yeah, what are some contributing factors to that? Yeah, so usually for historical reasons, um, as you may know, there's an unprecedented number of languages that are uh, going in, becoming endangered or going in extinct in modern times. Um, uh, something like half of the world's languages are like severely endangered. Um, so, and that's for historical reasons, uh, colonization was a huge reason for that. Yeah. Uh, people expanded and, um, sort of took over and maybe had language policies that were not so, uh, positive for minority communities. Um, in the case of America, uh, and also Canada, and recently I learned Russia also, um, they had uh, boarding schools in the recent past. So the boarding school systems were um, these systems where the government basically removed children from their homes um, without any kind of, like forcibly removed children from their homes and then sent them to distant boarding schools um, where they were forbidden from engaging in their cultural practices and um, forbidden from speaking their languages. Uh, and so they uh, they were allowed to go back sometimes during the summer or something like that, but uh, it, it was enough to really crush this uh, cultural pride and um, sense of, you know, community belonging. Uh, and those kids grew up and didn't uh, teach their children because they feared uh, negative repercussions uh, or sometimes they just forgot the language because they were so drilled into with English. So this was the case with my grandma and she was um, pretty literally kidnapped by the government and sent to a really far away boarding school um, in Southeast Alaska uh, where she uh, slowly lost a lot of her language mm. and did not want to teach her children those who still remember the language uh, were told later by uh, actually a government official even came to the island and, and told them um, you shouldn't teach your kids Aleut because it will make it harder for them to learn English, which is a linguistic myth that's been debunked. But a lot of linguists at the time thought that or a lot of teachers at the time thought that. And that was another thing that sort of drove um, the nail in the coffin in a lot of, of these language, yeah. language situations yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So history played a huge role mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's really tra tragic to hear like how many languages and the historical legacy of like colonization that really leads to these endangered languages so talking about like people like you know everyday the listeners me included like how can we support the preservation of these languages and the revitalization as well yeah that's a really tricky question. And I think it sort of starts with um, just learning about the place that you're in. And mm -hmm. if there's a community nearby or um, that has a language that's endangered, that has some kind of program going on, um, sometimes they don't like people to get involved who are outside of the community, mm -hmm. but they usually could use some help in some mm -hmm. way. Um, 
a lot of times universities, universities like Berkeley, for example, I know has um, a program where they have linguists pair up with um, people from lots of native communities across the United States um, to basically open up old historical, anthropological, linguistic documents mm -hmm. and teach them how to learn their own language. And I think that's really cool. I think a lot of universities have um, uh, programs like that going on. Um, yeah, and then people who have their, their own heritage languages, um, I think there's a, a point of you got to decide if it how much it matters to you, to what extent it matters to you. My brother has decided Alu doesn't matter that much to him, right? And I, I think that's fine. I think he's fine. But I've decided it does matter to me. Mm -hmm. um, and for that reason, I want to pursue it. And um, I think there's always, as long as there's some kind of document somewhere that says something about how your language was spoken, I think it's possible to recover to some extent. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast show today and sharing all about the Aleut language, including your work as well. And I wish you the best of luck to your future endeavors as well. Thank you so much, Claire. It was great being here. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast episode. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation and learned something new. Please stay tuned for future episodes as well. And if you would like to be a guest on my podcast show, feel free to reach out to me on my Instagram at Claire's Languages. Thank you.